Yet again. Hey. See, that doesn't really go with this. Yet again, we meet for Thinking Like a Lawyer. <laughs> uh, this is the, uh, the this is Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Catherine Rubino interrupted there for a second. Uh, we are also joined by Chris Williams. Hi. Hi. And we are uh, we're editors at Above the Law, and we're here to have our weekly roundup of the stories that were of the week that was. and <laughs> That is a wildly convoluted way to say it. Isn't that the way that I said it a few weeks ago that you said I should remember and use? I think you added like five more words. I really don't. Okay. <laughs> Listen, the point is we talk about articles from about the law and the, and the world in law as it happened. And so we're going to do that again. But first, we try to humanize ourselves as hosts by having a little segment that we like to call... Yes. Small talk. Yes, our little small talk segment where we talk about things that uh, are not really necessarily legal. Hey... Well, but, you know, me and Catherine talk about things that aren't necessarily legal. You find ways to talk about legal things during small talk. You know why that is? Because I'm thinking like a lawyer. Oh, stop it. Uh, because you're not following it. the rules of small talk. <laughs> no, I mean, it's the Follow show. The rules, so friend. It's the show. Like, that's a, like, it, like if the title of the show I mean, gets I, mentioned in the show, no, you have but, to but, like. But, the, but for the one segment where you're not supposed to do the thing, you know, the lawyerly thing would follow be follow the rules. But, hey. I mean, no, I, I again... There's no off position on the genius switch. Okay. Listen. Okay. Listen. Can we talk about sports ball? We could. I was going to talk about weather ball. Uh, oh, oh I'm about God. To are get... you really talking about the weather? Is that, about... is that your entire small talk is like, ooh, looks like I'm about stuff. to get buried. Okay. Talk about that then. All right. We'll talk about sports ball. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about uh, sports ball. Wasn't, the cold, wasn't it cold during the game? It well, was in not, Vegas? Not in Las Vegas indoors, so, no. Hey, like I was, I was doing both with the sports and weather ball. It didn't have to be accurate. Ah, okay, yeah, no, um, it was not. Uh, but it was. Uh, <laughs> it was, in fact, the Super Bowl this past weekend. It was an exciting game was had by all. Oh, that's what people were talking about. I was wondering mm -hmm. why the Usher concert was so short. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to talk about this since it's the top story that we're going to talk about of the gonna, week. But I was okay. going to say that it was a Starlight Express revival in the middle of an Usher show, which, uh, <laughs> you know, get a little 80s Broadway comedy in there just for funsies. Sure. It was exciting. Yet again, Kyle Shanahan is now including as an assist as an assistant or head coach he's 0 and 3 in Super Bowls in which he's had a double digit lead uh I'm starting <laughs> oh, to think that, sting. starting to think that maybe this I mean, guy has but, some deep tactical problems yeah yeah i mean in fairness this one was only 10 nothing so it wasn't well so was the last one it was 10 nothing last time it was 10 nothing this mm -hmm. time it was obviously famously 28 to 3 that the was time worse. before that was worse by the way, yeah. I really only watched the Usher performance. Can I know who mm -hmm. won, so these numbers have context? Chiefs won. Chiefs oh. won in overtime. Look at that. It, it was only the second ever Super Bowl that went to overtime, and it was pretty, pretty fantastic. I mean, I'll be honest. I thought it was interesting. The first half was much more of a, a defensive struggle, whereas the second half, I think, really, the both of the offenses seemed to catch a little bit more fire. I mean, not tremendous amount. It wasn't like a scoring bonanza or anything like that. But 
I thought, I thought that was kind of fun to watch. I think Patrick Mahomes had a great game, although he did throw one interception, which is pretty rare for him. Actually, th- him throwing the interception made it almost seem better because it's like, oh gosh, he really doesn't hasn't done that that often, has he? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was interesting. Uh, obviously, congratulations, uh, Catherine. As a Taylor Swift fan, you're like contractually well, obligated to root for the Chiefs. I, I, mean, suppose. I think that first of all, sure. But I was thinking about this and it's I think that it's like a part of the reason why I was rooting for the Chiefs, but also the Chiefs are the a real organization that have a chance to challenge the Patriots and Tom Brady's dominance on all the record books. And mm. that's really why I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I mean, sure. That's fair. I mean, as I've said numerous times, there's no force in sport as great as hate. <laughs> Interesting. I'm, I'm in the sports for the hate much more than the love. Tom hey, Tom had a Super Bowl commercial, I guess, this week. He had like right? three. Yeah. yeah. Right, because he was in the Duncan commercial. I, really, I mean, the Duncan one's the only one I, I really noticed. <laughs> he was in that. He was in one of the... He was in, I don't know. I think he was in at least one other commercial. I saw the betting one. He was like, everyone came yes, in the betting one. Yes, me. yes, yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. That was one. it. Because everyone hates him, and he's like at least acknowledging that. Well, it's better than his uh, commercials last year, which was where everyone could win money by investing in crypto. Something <laughs> There were a lot fewer crypto commercials. Yeah, it, I think the the reason... No FTX, weird. The reason Brady can't vote on, can like bet on games because it'd be like insider trading or something, right? No. Oh, I was, I was, I was, because I was, I thought that was it. And not just imagine there'd be a bunch of Congress people being like, oh, can't relate. I can bet on things I'm a part of. <laughs> so that was that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then I guess we'll end this awkwardly. We'll end small talk to begin our first legal story of the week. So the Super Bowl was this week, (laughs) which is why I didn't want that to be. But we were not. We weren't going to talk about the interception that uh, Patrick Mahomes threw during this segment. I think it probably would. It's it's literally the biggest thing that happens, like in the country this week. It's okay to for everyone to talk about it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that that it was the biggest thing going on. Uh, So Stephen Miller, uh, who (sighs) runs this guy. Yeah, yeah, this, this guy. This uh, Who runs America First That was a Joe, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, who runs America, America First Legal. He is not by any means a lawyer, but he is a former Trump white nationalism liaison. And he now runs this organization where he pretends to be a lawyer, basically, uh, filing lawsuits and EEOC complaints against various entities for, you know, discriminating against white people. He then uses this to make weird commercials where he tells the viewers that they need to send him money so he can continue his fight against the real racism, which is, of course, white people not getting everything. He had a whole uh, issue last week, which was the Super Bowl. Uh, He is now filed a complaint with the EOC against the Rooney rule, which he did for, you know, because he thinks this is a serious issue. No, I'm just kidding, because he knew it was the Super Bowl, and that way his his fundraising drive might get attention. So the Rooney rule, for people who maybe don't know, uh, is that for every head coach vacancy in the NFL, teams have to at least interview a diverse candidate. Yeah. So the Rooney rule was introduced kind of as a, you know, a an attempt at a diversifying measure that that one of the owners came up with. It's Rooney, as a matter of fact. It, yes, Don't worry. Uh, the rule is named after the white person. <laughs> well, well, sure. Uh, you know, and and uh, a team that has, you know, actually had a black head coach for 
yeah, no, almost still do, twenty yeah. years at this point. Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, so yeah, so like 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 a, a team that actually followed through on this, but ma- they made the argument that you know their their position is you have to at least talk to somebody before you go ahead and hire the fail son of some former head, white head coach, <laughs> which is what most people do. So person they at least have to talk. They don't have to be black, right? Just literally anybody who's not white. That's a that's a great point. I do believe that talking to somebody like Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets, mm-hmm. would have fulfilled it. Uh, he's Muslim. That would have fulfilled that. I so suppose. even like even like racial, even like r- religious distinctions would qualify. Well, I, uh, questionable. I mean, he, he's Muslim American, but like I think, but like of Middle Eastern descent. So whatever. The point oh, because because Muslim Muslim wasn't a race. That's why I was. One. I, was I just yeah. Assumed. It's not. It, it's not Muslim. Just like a white dude who converted or anything like I think you would have to be diversity enhancing. So the point is that was the the purpose of this rule. Uh, it has been in many ways successful in that uh, the NFL before it was introduced did not have a ton of black coaches in senior positions. And there are more every year, uh, which is a positive aspect of it. Uh, and it's proven that, you know, it's not even affirmative action. It's not like you, have to choose that candidate in a, you know, assuming they're qualified. It's just talk to them. Just it's really the bare minimum. Just take a second to yeah. consider that these people might actually be yeah. competent to run your team. That's the positive side of it. Now, the flip side, of course, while Stephen Miller is out here claiming that this is some horrible act of discrimination, the fact that it's not mandatory that you hire anybody should put the lie to it, that whole argument, but whatever. Meanwhile, the case that Brian Flores, former coach of the Dolphins, now defensive coordinator at the Vikings, the case that he's bringing against various actors in the NFL for racial discrimination continues. His argument, of course, is that the Rooney rule, put aside positive aspects that have come out of it, has also created a subculture of token interviews where people don't even ever seriously intend to hire folks, but trot the same coaching candidates around in order to check a box and then not give them any chance at advancement, uh, which, of course, he also argues hurts people's careers, too, because they get tagged with having constantly interviewed and never gotten a job. So maybe something's wrong with them when, in fact, there isn't, which is also a good uh, a, a viable case that's happening. So it's in some ways, you know, like extra absurdist comedy that Miller is trying to make the claim that the Rooney rule is some height of anti-white racism at the same time when there's an actually credible and substantive case against the NFL for how the Rooney rule has failed to promote diversity in the ways that it was hoped. But anyway, all of that's neither here nor there. The, The real issue is Stephen Miller, what a like just a, just the grift is just the grift, right? Like, yeah, and I think it's also important for people to recognize filing the the state the the burden uh, for sort of vexatious litigation to say that it is so uh, non realistic that it sanctionable is very 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 high unlikely in almost most in most instances for this ever to be sanctionable. So there's oh, yeah. ve- my point in saying that is that there's very little reason to not file the lawsuits for someone like Stephen Miller. Yeah. You, it, you, you pay a modest filing fee, slap something together, mm-hmm. give it to the EOC. They tell you no. 
And by then, you've moved on to the next thing. And you've collected a bunch of money and contributions. Yeah. Because, it, oh, the NFL is too woke. Let me give you a bunch of money. Yeah. Is you have from, commercials yeah. where you hold yeah. up. This is literally one of their commercials. You hold up sheets of paper like, filed a suit against this, filed a suit against this. You know, like he filed a, a suit about how Pop-Tarts make people gay. That is it's the, the sprinkles thing people. that he did. Yeah, uh, he filed his his uh, thing against the M&Ms for not having green and, M&M and be sexy or exactly. whatever. Exactly, and another week of Thanksgiving, he filed one against Macy's. Against Macy's, yeah, because yeah, he understands that when news thing, news jacking, as we yeah. call it in the in the press industry, in the biz. yeah, he news jacks puts the puts this thing out right when a search engine is gonna accidentally Start bring being people like, to oh, him. Oh, Macy's, 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 and yeah, yeah. Oh, now you know about Stephen Miller. Now, now you're now you're that much stupider. For Maybe he gets a this. few more people to donate, and then he moves on to the next thing. It's deeply cynical. When we do it as a blog, you know, it's also deeply cynical. But we, you know, we're trying to like entertain you with some memes. We're also not utilizing. <laughs> no, but also we are not using the legal system in order to in order to perpetuate this right like it's literally the nature of the business versus utilizing a system that is meant for serious litigation mm -hmm. so that was a that was our big issue last week i we, we're trying to keep on top of the of the moves he makes largely so that you can see the kind of deep cynicism of it as it happens of course he has a law school connection here in that his his one seemingly not major life event in the news related lawsuit that's still ongoing is his claim against NYU's law review for not for having policies that might lead to an unnamed and fully anonymous white student who might get bad grades not getting on. This is a student has not yet applied, mind you, to the law review, but they're pursuing action in case this student gets bad enough grades that they can't get on law review. That's not a standing issue. Well, you know, so there's, I wrote a whole article about this uh, back when it came up. Uh, the argument there is that there are some Supreme Court precedents that argue that it is not something that needs to be, you know, kind of fully ripe uh, when it's discrimination. And that if the policies that exist are on their face discriminatory, you can bring the action preemptively. There's some question whether or not that precedent is what, really should be. Uh, it's from the 90s, and I think Thomas might have been involved there in writing it. Uh, but it's... The world was a different place. It yeah, was the 1990s. It, and That case was about, I think, contractors in Jacksonville or something like that. I don't even remember. I, I You know, I have not... I've always kind of rolled my eyes at them, but I also, because, you know, gunner nerds, but also I have such respect for people who can be like, oh, you mean city of Jax or whatever it is, like off the top of their head. I I can do that when when I take the time to like learn the area, but I, and then it's gone. I don't, I don't remember that stuff all the time, you know? Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, well, yeah, I think you're just closer you're, to a gunner even than I am. I was well, like, I don't even think there was a time when I was really trying to remember those details. It's yeah. just you. I'm actually perfect. I remember everything. So. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> McDermott, Will & Emery is Vault's number one law firm for associate satisfaction three years running. Why? Because they're doing big law better. At McDermott, you define what your success looks like. They help you achieve it. McDermott's award-winning professional development program and hands-on mentorship propel you toward your goals, while the industry-leading wellness benefits help you feel your best so you can do your best. Want to see how your life could be better at McDermott? 
head to mwe.com slash above the law. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. All right. The story that probably really was our top story of the week, but we had that Super Bowl segue that I couldn't quite resist, is that uh, the insurrection oral arguments for last week, this was the legal claim about the Colorado case. Uh, In Colorado, there was a trial to see whether or not Donald Trump committed an insurrection. And then if he did, he would be, you know, removed from the ballot in Colorado pursuant to the 14th Amendment's insurrection clause. The Supreme Court heard this. Obviously, they can't really disturb the facts of the case. So the idea that he did commit insurrection was not really on the table. Uh, The argument that the Trump folks tried to make, of course, was this idea that uh, when the clause says an officer of the United States, uh, that somehow the word officer doesn't include the office of the president of the United States, that argument didn't really have a lot of uh, support. Uh, by, By the end of the discussion, it was a little more focused on a slightly different much more manageable argument, which was that if this clause exists, why is it that an individual state like Colorado is the arbiter, at least vis-a-vis presidential election? Shouldn't someone else decide? As Justice Kagan kind of zeroed in on, we don't really want a situation where like people all over the place are making patchwork uh, election rules for federal offices in ways that are problematic. What was the good faith argument for it not being an office? Was it like, oh, it's not an office, it's really a White House. So that means that's a, the- <laughs> that's a great point. So the, the 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 well, there is no good faith argument. The argument was that at the time of the 14th Amendments being put in place, the argument was that the idea of an officer of the United States meant someone that the president appointed as an executive officer. So a cabinet member, a sub cabinet member, those were officers of the United States because those were people who reported to the chief executive, but the chief executive themselves would not be. Uh, This is not how the rest of the constitution's written. It's indeed not how anyone understood the 14th amendment at the time. Uh, During the oral argument, which uh, for Colorado is being argued by Jason Murray, but uh, you know, uh, we always we we talk on this show about our debate connections, old debater J- Jason Murray. He made the point that, you know, at the time that all this happened, there was actually a discussion about whether or not this included the president and vice president, and there is a memo written back going, "Yeah, we we're we're confident this includes the president and vice president." <laughs> so there's really no reason to have this bad faith argument. Uh, and the conservatives kept trying to coax Mitchell, who is giving the argument on Trump's side to drop this and get back to the actually logical argument, uh, which was this patchwork thing. Now, the problem, of course, and this is the this is a bit of the crux of what our article, right? You know, there's lots of takes to be had, but uh, the crux of 
the above the law coverage of it was Roberts at one point made the claim that, you know, like, well, I mean, this would lead to an absurd result where, you know, some states would turn around and kick all the Democrats off the ballot and others would kick the Republicans off. And then you'd have just a handful of states deciding the presidency, <laughs> uh, which I it's mean, almost like that would actually happened, not even you know? matter because I mean, it wouldn't. So, so, OK, Texas kicks all the Dems off. Cool. They were already going to go red. Well, right. So, yeah. So the, there's a profound ahistoricism to this in that we have, say, battleground states for a reason. We don't actually believe that every state is involved in election. So long as we continue to have the Electoral College. Which a is hand, deeply a, yeah, which has democratic put aside its problems uh, is so long as it exists, a handful of states will decide the presidency. And that's just how this works. Uh, that's the problem so, when you have judges that think they're general specialists. You know, Robert should have just stuck to his wheelhouse of typewriter history. Yeah, exa- <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, I mean, this is he, he's just it speaks to this like weird like. I say a historic, and I think that's accurate, like where he just spouts off these things that aren't how the real world works, but they they fit in some kind of like grand mythologizing that he would love to work. And he just kind of argues from He wishes it were true. I respect your politeness of calling it a historical. I would just call it dumb. It's like I want somebody just whisper in his ear, you know, swing states are a thing, right? He's like, no. No. Yeah. Well, you but know, also, this is like the most charitable read, right? The other one is that it's deeply cynical, quite like Stephen Miller, right? And that they're just uh, advancing an argument they know to be true, to be false, rather, because it makes it sound better. The other part about this that I actually think is really disturbing is the idea, like, it glosses over something pretty important. The This is, in fact, the Chief Justice of the United States mm-hmm. making the claim that the rule of law is so goddamn fragile in this country that, well, then the next state will turn around and kick Biden off. And it's like, for what reason and based on what facts? One state just did it after having a trial that said, hey— Given all this evidence of you being participating in fake elector schemes, it seems like that might be an insurrection. What's the other side going to say? And and his arguments that they're just going to advance a like, I don't know, like Joe Biden fixed the Super Bowl for the Chiefs because he likes Taylor Swift. Like, and so we're going to kick him off for that reason. Sure. Like that's. The idea that those two decisions that there can't be a line drawn. It was a. It was such a weird abdication of the role of the judiciary, where he's basically saying that there's no way we could make a call between those two. So both are clearly going to happen. And that's how we end up in this situation. That's really disturbing. If judges think that judging is so weak that you can't make those sorts of distinctions, you may as well pack it up, you know? I also think what's interesting about this case is the way that so many people who are not lawyers became very involved. I can't tell the number of text messages. I mean, I probably could if I counted them, but there's a bunch of them from non-lawyers in my life. They were like, what's going on? Why is this Mitchell character doesn't seem to doesn't seem to have the notes for today's class? And and I thought it was really interesting how widespread and and you know kind of popular this became. So it was weird that Mitchell didn't seem to get you know, the mood of the room for yeah, the like, longest time. Yeah. But two, in some ways, though, I respect how he didn't get the mood of the room because he was operating a little bit under the logic that the conservatives were... Going to bail inter- him out regardless? Well, no, we're, <laughs> we're not interested in being completely hypocritical. So 
Kagan's point, and I think Kagan kind of, I think this is was intentional. I think a lot of the reason Kagan zeroed in on this like patchwork of laws being bad and in some ways disenfranchising if you know different states could decide who got on the ballot for mm-hmm. whatever reason. I, I think it speaks to kind of a, a sly argument against a lot of the voter suppression rules that conservatives have actively pushed. Indeed, we had a couple of these justices mm-hmm stand up for the idea of the independent state legislature theory if you, if recently, which is a theory where they basically say voting doesn't count. Sure. Uh, so at the point that that's the world, because in, voting doesn't count if an independent state legislature decides we're going to go a different direction. Now, if if those are the rules that these folks believe in, that creates a patchwork of election laws across the country in a way that's disenfranchising. So I think her interest in zeroing in on this is to create a body of law where, you know, we someday can use to uh, attack those things. Uh, the idea that the conservatives have joined in on that by the end of the discussion with even Alito kind of going like, eh, isn't this maybe it, like really it, it speaks to the hypocrisy, but it all, and I think that's what Mitchell was afraid of. like I didn't I think he didn't want to broach that particular tack because he was worried the that that uh the majority was going to not want to go down the road of criticizing different states having different laws sure I think I mean, I, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt there very little from actual his actual performance in front of the Supreme Court warrants giving him that benefit of the doubt but I appreciate that you are yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey gee what's up just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. Okay. Uh, the final big story of last week was uh, there's a... It seems like we might be coming to a bit of a head in the classified documents case. This is the case against Trump about how he has a bunch of highly sensitive secrets in his toilet uh and (laughs) i wish that were a joke yeah and that he apparently allowed lots of people to have access to these national secrets wait wait, Uh, sorry sorry did you see the recent thing where trump was trying to get people to think he looks like elvis I mean, Fat Elvis was a thing, so... <laughs> yeah, but no, he, yeah. he used a he used flattering picture of Elvis. So, like, just hearing that he had the secrets in his toilet and then knowing how Elvis died, I was like, there's an instant Aww. connection there. See, I won't be he's the right. Only one. There is a connection between him and Elvis. <laughs> fair. It's shit, right, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that case, of course, got assigned to Judge Eileen Cannon, who is a Trump judge, and she, unlike some Trump judges who maintain an interest in being judges, uh, Eileen Cannon does not. She's very been very hacky and very interested in giving as much of a delay to this case as possible with the hopes that Trump might get reelected and then uh, pardon himself, and then this would all die. Now, Cannon, uh, I actually thought Cannon might 
might step away from that because no judge likes being overturned consistently. Even the fairly right wing, uh, a right wing panel of the 11th Circuit has already smacked her around for making some bad decisions. She has most recently been courting a defendant's motion to we should have access to a bunch of these secret documents under seal. Uh, the government's response to that is, yeah, those are all kind of jinx stuff. You don't get to have that. Cannon seems to be, well, signaled that she was willing to just let them have, you know, identifying information of all the witnesses against them, uh, you know, which is a thing that we don't normally turn over till late in the process because, you know, they we don't want them to be killed. That said, she seems on board with it. The government filed a motion for rehearing, which is always a weird one, right? Like that motion to reconsider is, it, it's always an awkward one because it's you going back to the exact same judge and going, listen, I'm not saying you're stupid, but because <laughs> appeals are one thing, but this is the, I'm going directly back to you because I think you might want to think again. <laughs> uh, so that, that motion uh, has been has been filed. She now, and and it also has an implied threat to it because there is a, because in this instance, there would be an interlocutory appeal would be something that they could get at the government. And so there was the implied threat. Uh, we are more than willing to go back to the 11th Circuit to see how this plays. You know, I have a real feeling that the 11th Circuit is going to yet again tell her that she's not really competent to do this job but we'll see. I'm a popcorn ready. I mean, look, uh, I, I mean, the last one was written by, you know, Catherine and I's biggest fan, Judge Pryor, uh, who is obviously by no means uh, a liberal, but he he had to jump in and be like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. I, we say our biggest fan. He did give a address at the Federalist Society in which he called out both of us by name and, uh, talked about how stupid we were along with a few other people. So, you know, that's, we've, that's basically flirting. That's yeah. We've, we've struck a chord. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap this up. Thanks everybody for listening. You uh, should subscribe to the show, get new episodes as they come out, leave reviews, stars, write something. You should follow uh, above the law, read it. So you read these stories before we talk about them. It's at above at ATL blog on the Twitters. I'm, at Joseph Patrice, she's at Catherine One. Chris the numeral is at, one. Chris is at Rights for Rent. Same thing over at Blue Sky, except I'm Joe Patrice there. Uh, you should listen to the Jabot, Catherine's other show. You should listen to the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable that I'm a panelist on. Check out the other shows from Legal Talk Network. And with that, we will talk to you later. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. 
The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.